You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Stine Mangotomak, the CEO and founder at Openly. You need to learn what people want because the community isn't for you. It's for the people. Okay, we are back with another episode of the SAS Nordic podcast. We are hope that you have a great summer. Maybe you're listening to this episode in the hammock or maybe you're at the summer house or at the beach. Um, in any case, happy that you chose to um, join us once again. And Daniel, how are you today? Very good, very good. Uh, we have been... Uh enjoying uh, the time off here with the kids you know we have uh, we're slowly mentally preparing for the new milestones here so uh, our oldest starts school our youngest starts kindergarten and at least our oldest is now we, we talk a lot about that you know what it means to start it's almost like starting a new job there's new friends you know new buildings and so on so we spent the summers talking a little bit about that and actually visited drove by the new school uh, but that's been a lot of fun to see you know, also the evolution here is it's, it's really, it's really exciting. So, uh, and it's top of mind now because we just spoke about it today here with you. Okay. So that has been a lot of fun. What about you, Thomas? Well, um, great as well. Um, super to spend some quality time with the family and also have some changes uh, coming up in the fall. My, my, my youngest daughter is uh, changing school as well. Very excited about that. And, uh, one thing that I'm still excited about was that we got the time to spend a few days together. Just you and me, two days at a nice um, hotel, spa, Just conference. Just the two of us. Um, but, you know, sitting down, thinking about what we want Sassius to be the next one, two, three, four, five coming years. Because, you know, this is a long-term commitment from our side. And, and also, um, you know, making sure that we can bring value to the community in the very best way so um, yeah really excited to soon get on it again yep. um, in August so um, yeah it's gonna be lots of fun lots of fun and uh, I think now the real work starts you know it's one thing to put uh, the plans and ideas on a piece of paper but you know the magic is in, in the execution so hopefully we can do this together with all of you guys and continue democratizing knowledge for everybody that wants to to access it yeah to grow as an individual to grow their business and we are always happy to hear from you yes so you can reach out at any point at contact at sasnordic.com we don't put an out of office uh, message ever so so uh, you can always ping us there or at linkedin or if you have some other channel uh, directly to us we always love to hear from you and talking about the community Today, we're actually going to talk about how you as a B2B SaaS company can build a community and the value that they and you can get from it. Today, we are really happy to have Stine Mango Tornmark, the founder and CEO at Openly, here as a guest in the SaaS Nordic podcast. So welcome, Stine. Thank you. It's really great to have you here, Stine. And, you know, I just, every time Thomas says... The names of people here, like you know, uh, I think he does a great job. But I'm also so grateful that he's opening here because it's like <laughs> it's a thin line from you know 
getting something right to butchering somebody's name. How did he do, Stine? Was it was it close enough? I think he was perfect. Like people normally call me Stein, so <laughs> I am grateful. And by the name, that's like that is a boy's name here in Denmark. So just that, I'm yeah. I'm grateful. All right, <laughs> that's amazing. So we're off to a good start here. So not Stein, but Stina. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who, who is Stina? So I'm Danish. I have a lawyer background, so maybe not the classical entrepreneur, um, and I'm the mother of two. And I think in general, uh, a very happy person, but maybe also a little impatient person. Um, and it is, I think for me, a journey about being a founder uh, that I think have learned more about, I have learned more about myself during the time as a founder and a CEO than previously in my career. And my career has been, I think the classic like lawyer background, you know, like studying at Copenhagen University and I then went to Canada, then graduated, went to the classic big law firm here in Denmark, had clients like Google and Netflix and HBO. So privacy and tech was something I was doing and I've been doing it way before GDPR. Okay. Did that for six years. Then I uh, represented a big VC firm out of the UK, mm-hmm. wanted to invest in a Danish startup called Trustpilot. So uh-huh. I did the due diligence, you know, when you're sitting in this like dark little room and going through the papers and it's just horrible. Or maybe like if you're a lawyer, you'd like it, but everybody else would die. <laughs> and um, so I was doing that. And afterwards, they kind of asked me, hey, do you want to be seconded for a few months? Because... Like we have nobody in legal and we need to get some kind of like structure in place. And I thought that would be great. And I came in at this little startup sitting in Vestable in Copenhagen on the third floor. And when was this? In 2012-13. Okay, so like in the inception of, of the of Trustpilot and yeah. the journey. Cool. There were 70 people at that time. And I kind of knocked on the door in this apartment and somebody opened it and they just said, hi, and gave me this big hug and I was kind of like what the hell I'm coming in my suit and this is really strange right and he's standing there with his slippers and his white socks and this is the founder and CEO Peter and I was kind of like he looks like somebody who's 20 and I kind of like thought what am I getting myself into but I found out during that secondment that I love to be part of a startup it was just so fun and challenging and I learned more those two, three months compared to like what I've done the last two years at the law firm because I was learning about the business. Like I remember so vividly on day two, the CTO came over and he said, hey, Stina, we're about to like start maybe using APIs. What do you think about that? And I was kind of like, APIs? <laughs> what is that? And, and I didn't know if I should say or if it just kind of like, should say, oh, cool, uh, I'll help. And I quickly found out, okay, I just like have to say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you explain APIs to me? And then he started drawing on a whiteboard. And like all of a sudden I found out how important it is to know like the context of a business, to be able to support it and to guide it and, and to, to be a good lawyer. Right. And it was the same with marketing, right? When they started talking about MQLs and SQLs and I was just like, 
what's an MQL? Sorry. <laughs> um, no, but that. So when they asked if I wanted to stay on, I couldn't say anything else, but I would love to. So I was the first in legal, built out the legal team, the compliance team, and got responsibility for the platform, like the, like the teams detecting fake reviews and handing complaints and everything. And I ended up being a part of the management team and having a team a little below 50 people reporting to me. And in 18, GDPR came around and I had the overall responsibility. I had a big team and big budgets, but... Like Trustpal at that point were in 80 different countries, 60 million users, and it was just a challenge, right? Yeah. As it was for everybody else in that time. Right. And um, my co-founder today, but th- back then, he, he was the first product manager at Trustpal, employee number six. He came over and said, Stina, like, what are all the other companies doing if, if we're kind of like challenged? And I was like, I don't know. And honestly, at that point, like had plenty on my plate. So kind of like just focused on trying to do what I was supposed to do. And then he came back a few weeks later and said, Stina, nobody's helping them and they need to be asked compliant. We should be doing that. I was kind of like, no. <laughs> and he was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and all of a sudden I could just feel the butterfly starting to flap, like getting the excitement. Like when I joined Trustpilot where, you know, ah, this could be so fun. Like, mm. okay, at that one point, I just said, okay, let's do it. And that's why we found it openly. Okay. Oh, that's a fascinating journey. It's like, and it also, to some to some extent at least, uh, matches some of the other stories we've heard. Like you, you sit in a job, in a role, in a position, and in that role, you ad- identify a challenge that is close to you, so to say, so something you need to crack and so on. And you realize that, ah, it's not only me. There's probably a bunch of other people out there. And I think in 2017 or 18 or whenever this was when it was introduced, when we had real jobs, Thomas, we were also introduced to it and we were like, we don't know how to handle this. Uh, we're just going to ignore it for a while <laughs> <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah, but you can't really do that uh, nowadays, right? So uh, tell us more about Openly. What, what do you guys do? Well, we took the pain. I had a trust palette and then we built software around it. Uh, if I'm to kind of like really slim it down. But if I were to go a little more into detail, we are a privacy tech platform. We are helping um, companies with getting on top. We start with all the systems, all the vendors you're using, right? So when you as a company or you as a, let's call it um, networking uh, platform. Well, you're using a lot of tools. Yeah. Yep. You are using like marketing, HubSpot, I know you had experience with not that long ago and, and setting that up just as an example. When you're doing that, you're sharing data with all these systems, HubSpot, Intercom, Riverside, Google Analytics, and so forth. And that means you not only need to be on top of your own GDPR, but you also need to be on top of theirs because as soon as you start sharing data, you're responsible. And so what we do is we figure out what you're using, how you're using them, and then we gather all the legal documentation from your vendors, their security, their like agreements, all the things you need. Also in regards to sending data to the US, can you do that and so forth? So the businesses don't need to. And then we can automate a lot of the documents that are required. So um, helping a lot of tech companies, especially, uh, we're really good at 
helping them scale their business and scale their privacy and compliance. Um, yeah, so mainly focused in Europe. We do have American and Canadian customers, but that's our core. Okay, so is this a no-touch exercise? So I just go in and check all the different vendors that, that I'm using, or is it a, sort of a, a mix? So when you use Openly, you simply go in and then you just add in the vendors you're using and then we take over and you don't need to do anything else. And then we can automate a lot of the documents on the basis of all that information we gather. All right. Cool. And um, well, as you said, this is something that everyone needs to think about. But is there any particular size of companies or any verticals that you target more specifically? Yeah. So we are mainly selling to businesses where you have an in-house legal team okay, or an in-house privacy team. And that's more just because now you have decided to use even more money on making sure that you have your stuff in order. And by stuff, I mean legal and privacy and compliance. Right. So we really help those teams, but we also help when the company is in that growing stage. So not really the smallest of startups, but when you are, let's say, 50 or at both. Yeah. Um, and then all the way up to some of the biggest insurance companies, um, governments, and so forth. Okay. So when you have staff that knows that you really need to take this seriously or that you have uh, enough revenue so it, uh, the penalties can be really hurtful, right? <laughs> Most pains for the majority of our customers are actually that sales are getting delayed. Ah, okay. They're getting prolonged because when you're about to sign a contract, well, you then pass it on to legal. Yeah. And if you aren't able to like show that you have your stuff in order, well, then the, the, the sales get prolonged or sometimes you close, uh, you might not close them. Right. So the software that we have and like the things we can generate for the customers can help them close the deals faster also when you're then talking to legal. Yeah, good pitch. Good pitch. Close to the money. <laughs> Speaking about pitches like in, in close to the money, like just walk us through some, some of the numbers you have. And I, I know you're you know still a rather young company, but what is your ARR today and how fast are you guys growing year over year? So we have been like 2022 was a really good year for us. Um, if we disregard, I think the last month of the year, because I think everything happening in kind of like the tech worlds of VCs and funding and then like the whole kind of uncertainties. Right. Um, so, so I think we grew the, um, the platform 300% last year. Okay. And uh, we have customers in 14 different countries. If you look at, for example, vendors. Um, so, for example, Thomas's question about like, how do you do it? We have more than 125,000 uh, vendors uh, on the platform. Okay. So uh, growing pretty well and um, not complaining in that regard. Mm. Uh, always want to grow faster, right? <laughs> it is the classic kind of startup. And when you're VC backed, well, you definitely always want to grow as fast as possible. Yeah. But it's also a balance about, I think, today, cash efficiency versus growth. Right. And we are very focused on building a company that is sustainable. Yeah. And for us and for me, it's then important to make sure that the growth you're having is healthy. Yep. And I think in the past, growth have been in many ways, well, not unhealthy, but maybe pumped up to <laughs> some extent because of the ability to raise in a kind of like very, um, I think, 
fortunate environment uh, if you are a tech company. Yeah, and I think we've, we've also talked about it in, in some of the other uh, episodes. It was the right thing to do when money was free. You know, if money doesn't cost you anything, you could just, you know, put more more napalm to the fire and, and continue growing. But <clears throat> money is no longer free. <laughs> so we have to build these healthy businesses. And, and Stina, if you would just give, give us a range, like, you know, what is your ARR roughly today? You know, whatever you feel comfortable in sharing. And if you would uh, also just like try to put that in perspective, how many are you guys today in the organization working with this? So we are, the ARR is not a public number, but we are what you would call num- like going towards an A round. Yep. If I were to kind of like put us in, in that bracket. Okay. That's where we are. Um, we are around 20 people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, not adding on more headcounts right now, but just building and growing the business. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're aiming at. Not planning on fundraising. Don't need to fundraise either right now. So, but have you raised uh, some money before? Like, how are you funding the exercise so far? Yeah, so we uh, we fundraised. Um, we got a pre-seed investor in, mm-hmm. and um, then yeah, we raised a, a seed round, but that's about it. Um, so we haven't really raised a lot and. I prefer, and I think it's always a balance, right? That's also what we're talking about right now. Right. And that is the balance between growing and then also maintaining control of your business. Right. <laughs> and that balance, honestly, like you, you, like it's, it's, it's nice to actually have a pretty big stake in your own business. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that we then worked on <clears throat> to make sure that we have a, good model and, and a scalable model is our go-to-market because we have product market fit, no doubt about that. And the, you can also see that in the amount of customers that we onboarded last year and this year again, uh, it's really picking up and, and like the crisis mood that I think a lot of kind of companies were in around the, the, the new years, we don't experience that anymore. So that's really nice. But what we then have been looking at in 2022 is what is our go-to-market? Like, what is the sustainable way for us to grow? And then imagine that you are in privacy, right? You have a privacy platform. Mm. So you're selling it to legal and privacy people. Right. So remember when I said that sometimes deals are delayed because of legal and privacy? Imagine selling to these people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a tough crowd for sure. Uh, but in each episode, we go into a main topic, something that we, we see that, you know, we all could learn from experiences uh, and other things. And um, when, when we talked before, uh, we came into the area of community. And I, I think um, most companies out there, they, they would love to, to sort of gather their potential customers in a community or their partners and so on and, and do it. And, and that is... Uh, a journey that you're on and we are uh, interesting to talk more about community-led growth what that could be and what you have seen so far so but um, first what is community-led growth to you would you say for me well the community-led growth is our go-to-market okay it's the way that we build awareness it's the top of funnel it's the middle funnel and it's the end of the funnel so to speak uh, so for us it both works in terms of getting customers uh, starting a conversation with prospects and MQLs and SQLs, 
Um, but it is also for the retaining of customers. Yeah. And for us, it has been magical. But this is not how you started. I mean, you, you've been uh, on this for, for a while. So what was your go-to market model before? And why did you sort of um, decide to, to change that? So I think as every other startup, you're testing and you're trying out stuff and you figure something that should work for you and you find out it really doesn't. Uh, so we started classic. First, we did product-led growth and it, it worked to some extent. Like uh, we had widgets on people's websites um, to help them capture consents and got a lot of link backs from it. Amazing in terms of generating traffic. Mm. But what we found out, it really didn't get us the right conversations okay like it got us conversations but not with the right people well then we did the classic kind of b2b sales outreach um cold not cold calling but tried to some extent cold emailing difficult again when you're selling privacy software <laughs> um just fyi um so they never really worked for us. Not to say that it might not work for others, but it didn't really work for us. Mm. And then I was sitting, and it's not to kind of like do an advertisement for your kind of sassiest conference, but that was actually the reason why we founded the community. Because I was sitting in Malmö last year. And I remember um, I was like listening to a speech on stage and they were started talking about community and community-led growth. And I just got this epiphany. What the hell? This is what we should be doing. So took up my phone. Sorry. Yeah. Never supposed to do that when you're listening to somebody else speak. But It's okay. <laughs> yeah, in this case, it's permission granted. So I took up my phone and I opened Slack and I wrote to my co-founder, Søren, and said, Søren, we should be doing community-led sales. Like, we should be doing this. And he just texted me back instantaneously and said, damn, you're right. I'll get going. And while I was in, in, in uh, Malmö, he started creating the landing pages for the community. And, like, we needed pictures, right? So I took a picture of myself and a few others, like a selfie, the classic selfie in front of the Malmö kind of like entrance into the, uh, the conference building. And that was actually on the community page for, I think, half the year, uh, <laughs> where you can see me at Sassiest. Um, but for us... It is, I think, a golden egg. Um, and the reason is we can invite people into the community and they get a lot of out of the community. It's not just about sales. We, we actually very seldomly go poaching. Like we never do that because then you lose trust. Mm, right. So when people are signing up to the community, like when you're signing up to SAS Nordic, you do it because you want to learn from others. Right. You want to share. You want to build connections. Yeah. And that is what we're offering. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. If, if we, When you say community, and I'm guessing you're going after the legal folks of, you know, the companies that are right match for you. Like, what does it mean for them to join the community? What is it? Like, is there, do they join a Slack group or there's an email list or like, what is, if we start there? Mm -hmm. So, well, it is evolving, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so one thing is where we started. Another thing is where we are today. But building a community doesn't have to be complicated. 
On the contrary, like I would start by saying, do not go out buying something that is a community software. Like don't do it because you don't know necessarily what's going to work for your community. But think about the community as a group of people that you want to build connections with, Mm -hmm. but that should also build connections with each other. So how do you best do that? Mm. So what we did is that we started focusing a lot around events, virtual events, Mm -hmm. but not for us to sit and talk to people, but for people to talk to each other. Okay. But these are events that you hosted, or at least you you own the forum. Yeah, we facilitate. Yeah. Mm. That's more how I see it. Mm Mm-hmm. The power with the community is with the community. Yeah. So it's them deciding what type of event should we have? What type of panel discussions? Roundtables. So we're just, I'm saying just because it's not just, but we're facilitating. Mm -hmm. The community is writing content. They are sharing ideas, experiences. Yeah. And and so when we then developed the community, well, it started off as an email list mm. that then had events. Yep. From there on, it became a Slack channel. Yep. From there on, it became a mentee mentor program. From there on, it became physical events. From there on, it became podcasts. Mm. There, From there, it then became um, articles and so forth. Yep. And we're not even like scratching the surface of the, like, of the many opportunities we have to create something that's quite unique. Mm. And I think what we're seeing is that it's also great for branding, or at least it is for us, because we very much see it as top of funnel. It's a way for us to build trust. It's a way for us to build engagement. And it's a way for us to get our brand known in a way that's very different from the classic type of B2B sales. Like if you normally look, sorry, I'm to- totally rambling. Sorry, yeah, just no, no, interrupt great. me this, if I'm doing it right. That's what we are doing here. Exactly. <laughs> this is our job. <laughs> but just imagine, like the classic B two B software, especially if you're thinking about selling privacy or legal tech software, it's boring as hell. It's blue. It's corporate, mm. and it's very long texts and and like not super engaging. But then imagine that it's friendly mm. it's people right it's playful but it's still very trustworthy well that is what the community has been able to do for us all right but somewhere you need to start you need to get the first people into the community so how did you how did you start how, how did you get the first community members and who were they so we started with inviting our customers okay and that was firstly to learn before we go out in, in like in the big world and say, hey, we have a community. Well, you need to learn what people want because the community isn't for you. It's for the people. Mm. And I think that's where people often go wrong when we're talking about community. They're focusing too much on their own needs for leads, too much on their own need for generating demos, as an example. And if that's the case, it won't be authentic. And people won't buy into it. They might sign up, but then the, the engagement will just drop immediately thereafter. So we started inviting in our customers. Um, and then let's say like people that we knew from previous conversations, as an example, where we had a good relationship. Mm-hmm. And we simply just sent them a nice LinkedIn message and said, hey, we are about to launch a community. 
because we want to share. And I might also just then elaborate a little because I, when I was a trust pilot, right, I was sitting and I had the overall responsibility for the legal team and the privacy team and the compliance team. And I was sitting and not always knowing if I were doing my job good enough, like, like what were other GCs and, and head of legals doing around the world? Mm. And I kind of like always wanted to know what was TripAdvisor's GC doing. Okay. Like that was kind of like my wet dream, like professionally, <laughs> yeah. because if I could just copy paste or at least benchmark myself mm. up against how they were doing it, well, that could maybe really help me elevate my team. Yeah. Help me build out the best kind of like platform. Yeah. But I never found out. Mm. So that's why like the community just also really resonated with me because imagine if I had that when I was a trust pilot. Yeah. If I were able to listen to the GC of, of TripAdvisor and he or she were sharing what type of tools they were using yeah. or how were they handling all the like, like uh, end user requests. Right. Just as an example. So I asked our customers called them up, like called up, for example, too good to go and said, hey guys, what do you think? We're about to do this. And they were kind of like, oh, that would be amazing. And then I just asked, so what would you like? Oh, I would just love to hear from others. Like, could we get somebody else to talk about how they kind of like hired their first people around different offices? And I was kind of like, sure. And then another person uh, said, I've heard something about something called legal operations. What's that? Well, that sounds like a topic we should talk about in the community. So that's how we started. Totally low-key, not rocket science. Right. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My News Desk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My News Desk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. I think also one of the things that we've seen out there is like just like you described it, people feel like, okay, we're going to do this and there's a good case here. You're going to learn from each other, their community members and so on. But one hurdle to overcome is it's a credibility perspective. What gives you Stina the right to host and facilitate this forum and not somebody else? Like, like, you know, how do you overcome that? And then once you overcome that, the second part of the question is like, how do you make sure there is actual engagement because it's easy for people to say in a LinkedIn message and phone call, this sounds good. Yes, I'd love to listen to people. But then how does that actually get going? Mm -hmm. um, so I think what we started off with doing was very much myself putting myself out there. Mm, yeah. yeah. Telling my story. Yeah. My experience. Yeah. So I think it's also about not being afraid to to kind of put yourself out there. Yeah. It can be, I think, extremely sometimes terrifying mm. um, because like you, you're exposing yourself to some extent, right? Yeah. But that I think sometimes also makes it much more credible. Yeah. 
it it makes you feel that there are people yeah and not just some kind of software sending out automated emails yeah and i think there's in my mind that's of actually super valid point it is the lawyer that happens to be a founder of a tech company but it's you know you understand the icp's world the lawyer's world you have lived in their world you have walked their walk so to say uh, and not to discredit anybody else in your organization but maybe if this initiative was driven to start with from your marketing team or if somebody else it wouldn't have the same impact because maybe people will like yeah, you're just a marketer you don't really understand my world you haven't walked in my shoes so i think that's probably where people sometimes go wrong they have this grand idea and then they put the marketers that don't really understand 100% the world of the people that want to catch and that's a little bit of a roadblock for some people yeah and i also think often if the initiative is driven as a marketing effort yeah it doesn't resonate yeah with your recipients unless it's because it is for marketing people yeah like, just <laughs> say like that then it might work perfectly yeah but but i think also i want to stress out a community is more than just an email list mm. yeah and it is a requirement of resources um so we have a dedicated head of community so she is the one planning events making sure that we are facilitating the right type of content, the right type of engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and in all honesty, we're also super picky when it comes to applications. Okay. Because one thing you shouldn't be doing is flooding your community with non-relevant people. Yep. And what I mean by that? Well, it's, it's a group of people that want to be able to trust each other, right? So if all of a sudden you're sitting in a group of people where half of them have zero understanding of what it means to work in an in-house legal team or a privacy team. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden you won't feel that it's a valuable community. Yep. You want to be there with peers. So that's also why like, we have an application process. You have to apply. And we have a screening process. And it's not because we don't want, like it's free, but it has to be for the right people because otherwise they won't feel that it's valuable. Mm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. A little, little bit de- deja vu feelings here, Thomas, right? Yeah, I mean, just, um, you know, when it comes to our CEO network, for instance, we I think we have had over 200 interviews, uh, half an hour interviews with the people that, you know, have been vetted into the network. And I mean, it, it takes time, it takes effort, but uh, it's so valuable. And I think it's a great start and it's a way to ensure the quality of the network as well. So, I mean, the... As with a lot of other things in life, uh, if it's going to be good, there's no shortcuts. No. And I think another thing about talking about community um, is that you have to be patient. Again, not my strongest suit, in all honesty. <laughs> um, but like results from your community yeah. won't show the first month. It won't show the third month. It might not show the sixth month there might be a year before you start seeing revenue generated from your community. Right. Mm. And I'm guessing also that the success criteria has evolved throughout this process. Just like if you look at your 
community journey here? Like, you know, how would you measure success in the beginning versus how you measure it now? So in the beginning, we, we simply measured it by could we get people to join our community? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it sounds maybe a little kind of naive, but that was, I think, a very important first metric for us. Mm-hmm. Then the next item and the next way was like the growth of the community. How was that evolving? Then we started measuring on different types of engagement. So we kind of tiered up our community into different groups. We had the lurkers or the passive members, you might call them. Then you have the participants. And then you can have the power users and then you have the ambassadors. So we use these four different types of categorization. And it's about moving as many of your community members down that funnel for us to showcase that this was a success. Because if they're all lurkers and they're all passive, well, then your community is not driving any type of value. Yeah. Mm. So how do you incentivize these different groups to to take the next step? So so firstly, it's about having, I think, amazing quality events. Yeah. And that's another item that I think is extremely important. Don't compromise on the quality of what you're doing. Yeah. If you just start writing newsletters for the sake of newsletters because you want to be on top, well, people will start to drop off. Then make sure that you're interviewing your community I think over the last three months, I've had maybe 50 feedback sessions yep. with community members, asking them like about what, what do you feel about the content or our emails? Are they coming um, in a good kind of like pace? Would you like to get them more often, less often? That's one. What about the events? How do you feel about that? What type of event do you want? Next thing is, okay, how if we're launching a mentor-mentee program, how should we facilitate that? How would you ideally like to have it? Then it's doing surveys about what type of technology would you like us to use in order to facilitate the community conversations? So we are continuously doing feedback sessions. Mm. And we have a goal for the feedback sessions, how many we need to have, because if we don't do that, you're not keeping on top. Right. What do people say on the the technology part there, the platforms? Well, I think there is a difference in the terms of like what type of community that you are maybe having or facilitating. Our community did did not want additional platforms for them to log in. Mm. They're tired of logging into a trillion different systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why we went with Slack because that was a platform that a lot of people were already using. Yeah. So instead of having to log into a new kind of platform, well, we could just kind of use what they already had mm. and thereby making it easier for them to engage with others. Exactly. We can, we can resonate with that uh, yeah. a lot. So <laughs> we know how it is. <laughs> uh, and uh, another thing, you mentioned these four different groups. Do you n- nurture them in some way? Do you get perks or how do you sort of... Your ambassadors, do you treat them in, in a specific way? I would love to say that I do, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. But it's actually one of the things, talking about developing the community. I had a community feedback session with one of our power users um, at the, the beginning of the week. And he said, like, Stina, is there some kind of, like, reward or kind of, like, thing that 
we could, and they say we, right? Yeah. That we could give, and I was kind of like so proud because he, he used the word we. So yeah. he feels the community is his, right? For me, that's also a massive tick box in terms of whether or not community adds value. Yeah. Is that it could be so cool if we could somehow show the appreciation for the ones that are going that extra step. Absolutely. And I don't think that you have to, you know, it doesn't have to be something that is expensive or you don't have to th throw things over them, but just show that you're thinking of them a little bit extra, that you appreciate them. And it could be very small things. I think they should be personal. And so just to, yeah. So we, we started then by creating what we can call contributor like profiles on our, on the community website. Yeah. Simply showcasing. Yeah. The ones that are going that extra mile, and and that had really worked as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. You're making them the hero, or or so giving them a platform to, to you know, uh, to shine. Right. So then, obviously, the million dollar question, which is probably also the most sensitive question in, in this entire community led exercise. You don't do this just to be nice. At some point, this needs to translate into some kind of revenue. And obviously, the, the community members also know that. But like, when is the right time to open up a dialogue with somebody about a commercial relationship? How do you handle that switch from, you know, it's we, we do this forum. By the way, I, I need you to buy something for me now. I think, I think it will help you. You are asking like the million dollar question, right? Yeah. Um, because that was also what we struggled with a lot. Because you like imagine you're signing up for a community and you're doing it because you want to learn from others, you want to be invited to great events, but you're not doing it to get poached, right? You're not not doing it for some kind of like random salesperson to call you up and say, hey. I think this is the number one reason why communities die, like you said in the beginning here. It is. People put their commercial folks on it too quickly. Yes. And so what I've said is that the commercial team is not allowed to touch the community members. That was our rule and rule number one. Hmm. Then imagine like you're getting so many amazing like leads from a sales perspective, right? Yeah. And you're just seeing them coming in and you're not allowed to touch them. What the hell? I want to email <laughs> them all. <laughs> but that, that's the perk about being the CEO, right? You can set rules and yeah. like, say, you are not allowed to touch that community. <laughs> and that's what we did. Yeah. So nobody in sales have been allowed to go poaching in the community. Mm. So then back to Daniel's question, how the hell do you generate revenue from it? Well, we can see that people are actually inbounding mm. because what they do is when they join your community, like that's another question, by the way, should you call your community your name or not? Well, we can talk about that at a later stage, but they will, of course, look into who are you? Yeah, yeah. And what is it that you do? So already there, you're starting to just plant a seed. And sometimes the community members are, are asking me just like, okay, what's the catch? <laughs> like, because it's free, right? right? So, but what I'm always saying to them is we do this and this is honestly the case because we think it's good for our brand. Mm. It's good for raising awareness of what openly is and what we do. Yeah. But we also do it because I know what it is to sit in your like, desk or in your chair and how it can be to be in-house legal 
and having to to manage all these stakeholders and so forth. Yeah. So then the question is, how do you then get them to like? It's not everybody that's going to inbound. And how do you have that conversation? Well, we found out that you can do it in in subtle ways where you you aren't selling to them, but they want to buy from you. Yeah. So one way could do like do a webinar about meet openly. Right. Mm. Because they actually want to maybe get to know you and understand your business. And that's what we saw. So we did, for example, a webinar on meet openly and hear about our journey and our mission and our vision. Right. And then I also showed them the platform and what we do. Yeah. And funny enough, that generated conversations as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine that, uh, and it might not be like that, but uh, once you build this relationship and you have your, you know, the champions and ambassadors and so on, it's a smaller barrier to cross then because you have that intimate relationship. Maybe it's easier to say, hey, by the way, here is what we're all about. Let me know if you're interested rather than it's somebody that's just a lurker. So I can see how you advancing these four different profiles, the further along they are that journey, the more open they will be to have that discussion with you. And the worst thing that can happen is that they will say like, no, thanks. Exactly. Yeah, but you will be top of mind. I mean, if you sit there, oh, I, I need a compliance uh, solution, right? Uh, why, why should you go and uh, Google for, for hours to find one if you already trust trust you and um, have that good experience? But you mentioned the name and uh, you call it the Openly Community. So how's that working for you? Well, I actually had like, I started looking into different people uh, that had built communities and like for B2B sales and there aren't that many. Mm. And so I um, have found a few and they have been amazing just to kind of like get ideas from. And one of them said to me, do not use your name. Mm. Like that is a big no-no. And I was like, okay. Um, so the other one said, I wouldn't use your name. I would do it, call it something else. But then when you do events, always make sure that your name, a company name is in the background. But I was kind of like, well, that's not super trustworthy. Mm. Why not call it who it is that is behind it? Right. Yeah. And if you want to use it for building kind of rapport and building awareness, well, call it what it is. It's the only community. Yeah. It's us paying for it, so to speak. Yep. It's us driving it. Yeah. And so that's what we decided. And the person who kind of said to me a year ago, do not call it the openly community. He called me up three weeks ago and said, Stine, you're right. You should call it your company name. And I was kind of <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned that you looked at a few examples and now you don't need to enclose uh, who called you three weeks ago. But uh, what, what examples did you look at? Could you share? Yeah, but so, so we have HubSpot. Everybody was saying, well, HubSpot built this amazing community. Look at them. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, HubSpot were marketing driven. Yeah. And then people started talking about Slack. Yeah, okay. But that's very much for people using mm. Yeah. So that's another thing is you need to look at what who are you building your community for? Yeah. Is it for customers? Is it for product feedback? Is it for acquisition? So that's another like thought that you should always have in the back of your mind. Who are you building the community for? And we're building it for 
acquiring customers or building awareness, so top of funnel, and for retaining customers. Those are our four. There are or those two. There are actually seven different types of um, groups that you can build your community for. You can also build it for support. As an example, Sendesk has that. Mm. Um, so, so, so when you're doing that, you should also then think about what type of like ways you're communicating and building and and also offering different types of uh, services or yeah gotcha so if someone is listening to this and they are about they want they want to try this out so what would be if you summarize things the, the most important things to to think about what do you say um i think that you should be willing to make the commitment it will cost blood sweat and tears And it will cost not necessarily money because that's another good thing about the community. Mm. You're not depending on Google ads or LinkedIn ads. No. It's you, right? So you're much more in control. It's great for branding, but it takes time. So be patient. Right. So you also need to have the time. And then in addition to that, you need to be open to the fact that you as the company is not at the center of your community. Mm. Mm. Your users are. Right. And if you start compromising on that and you start compromising on kind of like, I need sales. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Need sales. Well, then you will lose credibility. Yeah. Then it's not a community. Then it's just like another you know, part of the sales funnel. It's just a sales channel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. So commitment... And it's not, it's not about you, it's about the community members. All right. Uh, looking in the future for Openly then, what, what's, um, what do you see in the next coming years? I see that we will have the biggest in-house legal and privacy community. Yeah. Um, we will have the greatest. Yeah. And we will be the de facto standard for um, privacy software. Nice, I like that. That's something that gets you up in the morning, right? Yeah, Sounds like exactly. a great vision. <laughs> That's why, uh, Stine, you said in the, in the beginning, unpatient, but also very happy person. I can see that. <laughs> so in order for you to achieve these goals, like, is there anything you, you need? Like the community is listening here. Do you need uh, some kind of help, support, partners that will get you there and accelerate this journey? So firstly, for all the people listening out there, if you are a CEO or whatever, like, and you have somebody in your legal team, why not get them to join the Omni community? I promise I won't poach them, but they will <laughs> most likely like us. And on top of that, they will be in a community with people from Stripe, Sendesk, Salesforce, Too Good To Go, TikTok, Facebook, and so forth. So what's not to like? There you go. Good sales pitch. Good sales pitch. <laughs> But beyond members and paying customers, is there maybe a particular type of talent that you guys need that you feel that this would help us accelerate? We have a pretty good team, Mm. all honestly. Um, So I'm not looking for talent, Mm -hmm. but I would say if somebody's listening in and they have built a community before or are still like, and they're expanding their community, like brainstorming ideas, of how to scale the community even more in terms of building engagement and so forth. Well, I would love to have a conversation. Yeah, let, let's have a coffee sometime. <laughs> 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 but um, to end off here with, uh, is there anyone that you think we should 
get on the show here that would be interesting for you to listen to? There are so many. Um, I think there are amazing people on LinkedIn sharing a lot. Um, I think there are a few people that have built a really interesting journey where I'm kind of inspired by the balance of really building a strong brand and at the same time building a strong company. Because for me, like the brand is so at core. Mm. If you have a strong brand, the opportunity for you to retain employees to get loyal customers, have an exciting community. Well, that is absolutely critical. So, so for example, as an, like the CEO of Too Good To Go, I think they have been able to build an amazing brand, very strong, but at the same time, also a very strong company. Right. So that's one of the like people that I think is very inspiring because of the, like their ability to really build a scale of brand. I know they're not B2B sales, but just to say um, they are doing B2B to some extent. All right. Cool. Cool. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was very inspiring. And uh, I, th I think, um, yeah, there is a lot of companies out there that are envious of uh, what you have done in, in this area so far. And uh, as always, Dina, um, yeah, a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I hope you have a, a great summer. It was amazing speaking to you too. And I might take you up on that coffee. Yeah. Now, so. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So Daniel, what's your takeaway from this episode? I think this one was... Uh, really interesting from a different perspective uh like always I, I learned some stuff but i also felt like i could have said those things in the sense that you know because we live in the same type of worlds our entire business here at sassiest our entire operation is built around community so it was really nice to hear another community builder talk about the things and reconfirm some of the theses that we have here so that that was you know my starting point it was really good to hear Stina and I'm really impressed by how quickly they built up you know this this pool of, of members in their legal community uh, one thing that uh, I thought was interesting is that uh, they also dare to categorize their members so it's not just a member mm. there's different flavors of members and you need to understand that level of different uh, membership and what drives them and how to incentivize them and so on in order to continuously mature the entire network but also to enhance the individual experience from every for everybody so like it's just, it's not just a community uh, it's a community where the members will go through some kind of a community cycle they start as maybe lurkers just passive and just you know checking things out how do you get them to become more engaged and at some point hopefully ambassadors yeah but not everyone would go through that cycle no and and which is okay yeah which is okay but you need to have a process to for the ones that are ready and want to go and the ones you want to go you need to have a cycle in there to help them get there and like you said it's not for everybody but for the ones that are there it's not going to happen just by magic. It, you need to help them get there somehow. And, and that entire exercise, we didn't necessarily go into particular details, mm. but that is of, of super interest to me, how they do that, how you do that. I think it's a, it's a difficult, nice and delicate exercise to master. Yeah. 
What about you, Thomas? I mean, doing these uh, key takeaways, it's always interesting, uh, partly because I let you go first, right? <laughs> so there is always a risk that you take mine. So what do you think this time? That you will say this time as your key takeaway? Yeah. Um, I think you will say as your key takeaway uh, that you have to put the member as the hero. It's not about you, it's about the community members. That's a great one. I totally agree, but that wasn't what I thought of. Um, I can definitely agree of the blood, sweat and tears part when putting this together. And also what I think was interesting and it's, uh, you know, really kudos to them. Uh, she talked about this 50 calls with community members to really figure out what they thought about different things, what they wanted and so on. So I think it's, and that's also, I mean, that takes a lot of time, but it gives so much value. So it's not just getting people into your Slack channel and, um, and I mean, you can always send out, send out a survey, right? Right. But really spending that time talking to people and, and more on a deeper level, understand what they want and need. I think that can be super valuable. And I think, I mean, that's something that we can think about also how to spend even more time talking and listening to the community. So um, I think that was a good one. Definitely. So what can we look forward to when it comes to the fall? What's happening in the SASIST community? Well, if, if you like this episode and the talks about, you know, community-led growth, and we're also going to touch upon uh, that in our upcoming digital events. So SASIS Digital is upcoming here September 27th. We're going to talk about more about, uh, in general, other practices about how to go to market, accelerate that. And there's going to be some topics around exactly this community-led growth and the key pillars for that. But uh, as you know, uh, it's a full day event. Uh, we're going to cover topics very hands-on that will help you as an operator, whether you are you know, a marketeer or a salesperson or a CEO or, I don't know, a product owner of some kind. There's going to be different tracks that help you stay up to date with trends, but we're not going to talk trends about macro trends only. It's about how you can actually capitalize on those trends. And we're going to have speakers that give you actionable advice how to progress, whether that's like with AI in your organization or with demand generation into the US, whatever that is. But that's going to be really exciting. So 20 minute sessions with good takeaways and also people are going to share their artifacts, you know, playbooks, templates and stuff like that. Yeah. So that is September 27th. And there's a, a few more things happening after that. Absolutely. So we have two more events of the year. We have the SASIS Investor Day and the SASIS Jobs Day. So look out for them. Uh, we're also going to do some local meetups, uh, most likely in Copenhagen and Helsinki. And um, what else? Our networks are progressing. So we have our CEO network and our executive network. Uh, if you want to read more about them and if you want to join the, um, the Slack community, head over to sasnordic.com and apply. I think we, pro we, pro we probably forgot to say that if you want to join SASIS Digital, head over to sassiusdigital2023.com. And you know you can book your seat there. You can start looking at the speakers' agendas and stuff like that. All of that information is there for you to access. And with that, thank you for being with us today. And uh, we're gonna you know continue pushing out the podcast here uh, in a quite rapid uh, pace. So um, see you soon again. Take care.